Welcome to the Successful Life Podcast, your go-to source for insights and strategies in the HVAC, plumbing, and roofing industries. I'm Corey Barrier, here to guide you through transformative approaches to business and mindset. Each episode will explore unique methods, focusing on identifying and addressing the core challenges in your field. Our goal is to equip you and your team with practical solutions that foster growth and success. So whether you're tuning in for the first time or you're a longtime listener, get ready to dive into a wealth of knowledge and expertise. Let's begin our journey to success together. This is the successful life. It's Corey Barrier. Yeah, come learn with me. Take you down the path of our journeys. This is the successful life. It's time to take what you learn. Apply it to your life. It's your turn. To live a successful life. You are tuning in to the Successful Life Podcast. Three, two. Welcome to the Successful Life Podcast. I am your host, Corey Barrier, and I'm here with Lelania Dubois, which is such a challenging name, which I normally screw everybody's name up, but for some reason, I was able to pronounce this. How are you today? I am doing fabulous. Thank you, and thanks for having me on here, Corey. I'm excited. Yes, I am too. I'm so excited. So, Lelania is a cannabis expert and community leader out of Humboldt County. So if you know anything about cannabis, majority of it comes from or used to come from Humboldt County, if it was worth a shit, right? (laughs) (laughs) Ah, I've got some friends that would appreciate that. Um, Yeah, you know, we just happen to have, gosh... Anywhere, it depends who you're talking to, four to six generations of growing, product making, curating genetics, and, and being around this plant. And, um, you know, a culture that holds that with any industry in this world is pretty amazing. And I think we need to start honoring that legacy. And that's part of my legacy is around the plant. You know, what's interesting, and I forgot to tell you this when we were chatting before we started recording. Um, So what got me so interested in this industry is uh, a guy had, and I'll really make the story short. A guy called me out of the blue um, and it doesn't matter why he, he called me and he said, Hey, do you, do you know anything about cannabis? I thought he was asking, do I, do I sell it? (laughs) And so I was like, no, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't sell it. And he was like, well, no, no, that's not what I mean. And I said, well, I don't grow, grow it either. <laughs> and he was like, that, that's not what I mean. He was like, I want to get into the CBD industry. Mm-hmm. And why he thought about me, I have absolutely no idea. But I said, well, actually, I know two people that are pretty well connected. One in Michigan who uh, was, uh, well, he still sells products out of Michigan. And then uh, another lady that lives in Nevada that are, that are two people that can, they're pretty well connected and that could help us build this, what we thought we we were thinking full vertical integration, but this is like corporate people I'm talking to here. So they didn't know shit about anything and I didn't know shit about anything. So I just had to figure it out. And so I spent about three months digging and learning about the cannabinoids and 
the, the endocannabinoid system and the differences in the plants and the males and the female and, and how they can't, you know, you know, the whole spill. And it really wound up not going anywhere. Thank God, because it, it wasn't the right fit, but so that's kind of what got me so interested in this. And then I just happened to meet Fabian at the same time. And it, it just all kind of worked out, but I love what you guys stand for. I love the fact that you're such a, I have never met a community in my life that they're just so grateful, so willing to help. So just not out for money. It's unreal. We went to a hemp like rally type thing and everybody was so nice. Everybody. It was unreal. And at that moment, I realized this is something I have to, I need to be a part of this because these people think like I do, like they'll give you the shirt off their back. All of them. It was insane. So I was hooked. I was hooked. Uh, Well, that's why I'm a cannabis advocate. That, that is exactly why, um, you know, I, I've told quite a few leaders in this industry that we're not here fighting for a plant, we're here fighting for a way of life. And I think the reason that we got to be with this plant, curate this plant, grow this plant for so many generations is because of that community spirit and, and the values that built that community um, and the kind of people it created. You know, a lot has changed and we got inundated by capitalism when it became really easy to grow weed up here. Um, But, you know, as you know, as well as I know, when hard things happen, it's an opportunity for growth and more. And I think, you know, my community is having to go through some growth and it's incredibly painful. Um, But that's part of what makes life better, right? It is. And when you say incredibly painful, for those that are listening, what paint just a quick picture for the people that are maybe not in this industry that are listening of what you mean by that? Because I think that's important. Well, I'm not a historian. Um, but I know that in my little research I've done, I don't really know of any culture that's really quite experienced this kind of um, change. Um, on so many levels. First of all, we've been a community that has been living off the grid um, for my whole life. I'm 49 years old. Um, We have power and stuff like that, but, you know, we built our own solar panels back in the the late 70s. Um, We built our own hot water systems to go through our hot water water heaters. Um, we built our own homes. You know, we, we grew our own food. We, for my 16th birthday, because I so didn't like the lifestyle, was given PG&E in my room only, which is the electric company, in my room only, so I could have a curling iron and a blow dryer. Um, so we came here to, you know, I, I mean, I guess this is a great time where to start. You know, um, my mother was an incredible woman and my dad is pretty amazing too. And they, uh, had their, they decided to have their family in San Diego, which is where my father was working as a lifeguard 
And they bought a home on a street called Cape May Street uh, in a town called Ocean Beach, California. And the reason I say the names is because you can Google those names and you can see that it's a very uh, historically active place in the 70s. We were actually declared a state of emergency and the National Guards came in when I was four years old. Um, I was, my sister and I, and a group of, you know, I really don't know how many of us were. I know there was like nine of us. Um, and there's, there's four of us are still alive. Um, and we were called this group called the OB Rats. And we hung out at this place called the Red House. And it was a very, very politically active place. It was really the headquarters for Haight-Ashbury and all sorts of other things that sprouted out throughout the United States. Um, and I grew up in that. My mother was one of the first creators of the cooperative, a cooperative food, any cooperative food store in the United States. Um, really? Yes, called the People's wow. Store in Ocean Beach. Um, we also helped create a school called the Ocean Beach Free School. Before we had charter schools and, and unschooling, um, we, were, we helped create that word, unschooling. And, and that's how my mother educated us. Um, so I grew up. And if you look at my, my family karma, you can just see that, that, that that's how I was curated. Um, when I was five years old, my mother walked in home from work at the hospital and I was naked and I had a burn on my leg and male stuff all over me and our lives changed and she realized that she needed to remove us from that situation. And we packed up in our Volkswagen van. We went and lived in Mexico for a while um, in a little town called Sayulite. We were the first honkies in that town and cruised around for a bit, got sick, ended back up in the States, came back to San Diego, and my mom was just like, I can't be here anymore. And we drove up the coast for six months and ended up, she got a job. Um, and, you know, and during that time, like, people ask me, you know, since I am a cannabis ad advocate, they asked me, you know, when did you first meet the plant? And that's when I met the plant. And it wasn't nice. You know, I met, I was smoking weed and cigarettes before I was five years old. Um, I was an adult. I would steal money from the man that molested me every day and go buy all the kids hamburgers and candy in the, in the, in the store. And then he would thank me with a flip flop really hard for a long time. So I, I just, you know, it wasn't a good scene. You know, there was a lot of freedom and a lot of development going on in that time, but there was also a lot of violated boundaries. So I didn't like drugs. I didn't like the alternative lifestyle. And so my mom packed us up in a Volkswagen van that broke down all the time. I have multiple memories of her waking my sister and I up and saying, girls, and mind you, I'm four years, five years old. My sister's three. Girls, you got to push the bus. And we <laughs> pushed the Volkswagen bus. <laughs> the scariest time was in some city at three o'clock in the morning. And I was just like, oh, my God. Um, and we ended up, she got a job. She was a nurse from England. And we got a job. She got a job at a hospital in a town called Weaverville, 
which is in the eastern point of the Emerald Triangle, which is the heart of the cannabis industry. She fell in love with a man who lived about two hours inland, or I guess west. And I tell you this because that two hours was on one of the most dangerous roads in the world called the Highway 299. And that February, we were driving from her work to his home, and we went off the cliffs. We rolled three times into the river. We were fully submerged into that river. Um, I was wrapped around the steering wheel, and the last thing I remember of my sister was her sitting there ever so peacefully staring out the window as we're just all, like, surrounded by water. Um, my mom got pulled out through the current, and then I went out the window, and I mean, this was February, just vicious currents. I got, and I was five, I was, no, I was eight. Katie was five, my sister. And I got to the land, and my mom's screaming, I'm yelling, we're going, are you okay? Are you okay? And, and um, calling for Katie, we, you know, we, we didn't get any response. My mom couldn't move. She was surrounded by blackberry bushes. And I uh, could move, and I started walking, <laughs> and I remember going, there's no cotton up here. We don't, there's, cotton doesn't exist in Northern California. That's in the South. Why is everything so soft? You know, everything was so soft. And I just walked up to this road, and the first car that came was the sheriff's car. And as soon as I got on the car, I was completely paralyzed. Well, that soft thing was actually a fully vertical cliff covered in blackberries. And I didn't have a scratch on me. And I walked directly. I, And that feeling taught me something, you know, which is why I'm sitting here with you today. <laughs> it, it, it taught me that there was something more to this physical existence than what I could explain or know. Um, there was no way, you know, uh, two weeks later, they found my sister's body. Uh, we went to the hospital. My mother had fully shattered her back. Um, I was out a few days later, but that experience completely shifted our life in a lot of ways for the negative, but that one moment changed my life, and it's the reason that I'm still here today. It was a gift that I could never want to give up that knowingness of that softness and, and what kind of love really exists. So through that, my mom hurt her back and my mom was a nurse. Um, you know, she wasn't, I don't remember like her being the one partying and doing the, you know, she wasn't, she was working all the time in San Diego. And um, my dad worked all the time. We were, we had babysitters taking care of us that put us in very compromising situations. I had an amazing family. Um, but that, that accident started her really starting to use cannabis because of her back. Every night she would sit in the bath and it was our favorite time. I'd sit on the toilet and she'd smoke her joint and we'd talk. Um, and that just became a ritual in my life. Um, I was growing up in this community that was very small. So we moved to that community called Burt Ranch and we started living, building off the grid and this homestead lifestyle. My mom became an amazing gardener. Um, she's the one that's on the picture of my, my Zoom. Um, she was a nurse, so she became the community midwife. And the midwives are, are like the most respected people in our community up here. 
Um, she helped so many people and she went on a really deep spiritual journey. Um, you know, she went to find out what, where her daughter went, what happened and, and how could she process this? And I was eight years old at the time. So I got to go on that journey with her. Um, and I've, I've had this experience of negative that was really, I think, created to give me these tools. Um, so we were getting comfortable in this beautiful little community that was filled with loggers. And my mom had, she didn't shave her armpits. She was a total hippie. <laughs> I mean, like, not what these folks were used to. Because uh, this is back in 1977. And it was like, you know, population, the town was population 15 at the time. Um, a timber mill was pretty much a timber mill and a post office and a little general store. Um, but my mother was an amazing woman and immediately the community loved her, which thus I got that love. And I got raised after all this trauma with all these people. I would go to school after my sister died and my teachers would brush my hair because they had so much net and, and they're still my friends. I love my teachers at that school. Um, you know, one of my teachers lived in San Diego and that's where my dad was still. So she and I would drive to San Diego every holiday and I, she was my best friend, you know, um, I would do a two hour book report and I wouldn't be told to shut up because I got the support, you know, my friends from that elementary school are all my friends on Facebook. Um, we're like brothers and sisters, even if we don't see each other all the time, you know, I have friends from, 40 to 49 years in my, I'm 49 years old. Um, and it's because of that community around me. Um, I don't know what to say. Well, well that, <laughs> it's, it's, so so hard, it's so hard to even comprehend being around a community like that because, you know, we, we don't have that, especially where I live for sure. Um, not even in Mayberry where I grew up. I mean, it's just, it, that is so far removed from normal, normalcy. I don't know if I said that right or not, but for me and for anybody that I know, it's hard to wrap my head around that, but I can't imagine. I just can't, it's hard for me to even picture it's the most valuable gift that my culture, I'm crying because this is my love. Um, you know, people see me as this really strong plant advocate and, and it's the community that made me this strong person, you know, that it was the community's arms. Um, and when I go into the story that brought me back out, the reason I'm walking from a wheelchair is not because it's because of their arms helping me and believing in me. Um, Okay, so hang on. When you said you were paralyzed, you meant literally paralyzed? Oh, yes. Oh, I thought you meant, like, just in shock. <laughs> oh, you! no one could shock me that much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. So, okay, yeah, I missed that. I did not, <laughs> I did not understand that's what you meant. 
<laughs> so paralyzed, like from the waist neck down. Um, in 19, 1999, I was a nursing student and working two jobs at two different spots, getting my credits. Um, and I, and I captured, I caught a little 96 year old woman whose one of her ideations was, is that she couldn't walk. And so she went dead weight and I caught her and I lowered her down to a bed that was low. Um, and what I did is I ruptured my L4, L5 discs into my spinal cord, and then it disintegrated my vertebrae. Um, I have just little pieces left that they screwed into, but my, my L3 and my S1 were on each other. And then those bone fragments actually frayed my spinal cord um, to like a little capellini noodle. And I went through, gosh, 1999 till 2003. And finally found an amazing surgeon and through lots of spiritual development and understanding how to work with energy and, and, and tools, get gaining more tools. Um, he went in expecting to do what's called a pro disc surgery. I was in the experiment for that and he opened me up and he had to vacuum my bone fragments out of my spine and God bless this man's soul. He did a 27 hour surgery on me because he loved and believed in my heart and he wanted me to be out of pain. And, and he, he, he did exactly that. I was told before I met him that he allowed the divine to guide his hands, but he didn't know that and that that's what was going to happen to me. And I didn't, I mean, none of us expected a 27 hour surgery and he gave me a new spine. I was in the, the ICU for two weeks. I don't have any memory of that. Apparently I was the exorcist because I cussed out all the nuns. It was a really hard, and they all came to me afterwards and went, oh my gosh, you're such a nice person. But I, I don't remember any of that. But I do remember the day that Dr. And this gentleman's name is Dr. James Zuckerman. I remember the day that he walked in with his intern and he says, well, how are you feeling? And I was like, I'm doing pretty good, you know. He goes, well, you know, I, we, we did really well. We stabilized you. And he told me what was going on. And basically, I was like this with my spine. And he said, but you're going to be a paraplegic. And I said, okay, no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> and don't talk to me and don't let anybody else talk to me. And if I ask for something, then provide it without conversation and leave me alone. I'm all, you can roll me. You can do whatever you got to do, but do not engage me. And what I did is I went into my practice and I being having a, a medical background, I, I understand physiology and cellular structure, having the upbringing that I have, I understand energy and fields. And, and I just went in and I told myself that they were going to rebuild. And four days later, I told my dad to go get me makeup at the place down the street. And I told Dr. Zuckerman to go get me a walker and, uh, I walked and took a shower. That was it. I started walking. I mean, it was a long haul. That wasn't it. That was, I went home in an ambulance. I mean, it was a long haul. 
but that was when I knew that I could do anything. I, you know, the, the stronger, the more that I, 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 I believed in myself and the more I tapped into my own magic, the more I could create. This episode of the Successful Life Podcast is brought to you by House Call Pro. Whether you're looking to streamline your operations, reduce paperwork, or boost revenue, House Call Pro is your all-in-one business solution. Transform your business today with essential tools and support designed to drive efficiency and deliver exceptional customer service. To learn more, click the link in the show notes. So you, of course, have heard of Dr. Joe Dispenza. Yes, I have. I, you know, it's funny. I've, 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 I watched his thing. I have his book. Um, but he's, I think what he's writing about is what I experience. Uh, right? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Which I love, which is why I'm, I'm looking at his stuff because I have this, um, and, and we'll go into my spiritual story around it, but you know, I, I have, I, I was, I had a role in spiritual leadership and it wasn't because I was taught any specific tradition, but it was because I came to this without, you know, I came to it literally lying in bed in darkness. I mean, I used to see blood coming out of the walls cause I was in so much pain. Um, and it makes it really easy to have a conversation you know, about these things. And what Joe is doing, the first book I read that really touched into this, just to give the master some, is the Dalai Lama wrote a book and it's called The Universe in an Atom. And when I read that book, I stopped feeling crazy. I mean, that book like made me, oh, made me go, whoa, wait a second, you're not crazy. <laughs> the Dalai Lama like knows this stuff then it's real. And it really empowered me. And I'm just starting to get to know Joe's stuff, but it, he's taking those that, that and putting it in a way. I don't want to say like the secret because the secret, a lot of people don't like the secret and I think everything has value. Um, sure. But we need, and it's like cannabis. People don't want Philip Morris to grow cannabis. Personally, I think everybody should be growing and using weed. You know, you start ingesting the plant and you start changing your mind about things. So I have a different view. I'm not, a, I'm not into nimbyism or isolationism. I'm into connecting and collaborating. And, and this plant needs to infiltrate like that. Um, and I got distracted, but <laughs> no, that's okay. That's all right. I get all this stuff going on because my, I do have a lot, you know, and, I, and that's what we're here to talk about. And then I start thinking about things and going, Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. So, so obviously you could, you resonated with his book and in the, the universe and the Adam, I haven't read that, um, but I definitely will check it out for sure. Um, I 100% believe that, you know, of infinite intelligence that, you know, he is one, we or he, she, whatever is one. And we are part of that one and we're all connected. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of what you're talking about. That's, that's exactly 
really what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Some people call it the earth grid. Um, in, in, in Tibetan Buddhism, they call it the jewels. We're each a jewel and then we're connected through the jewels. Um, there's all these different terms, right? And we get really lost. I get really lost. I'm dyslexic. You put all these words at me and I'm like trying to put the words in shape and I'm not like digesting anything. And awakenings, awareness, spiritual connection, God, Godfather, grandfather. There's all these words, right? And really, it's, you know, and, and I, I get a little nervous saying this, but I just, this is so the truth for me, is that it is absolutely a universal journey, but that is created within yourself. And if you are not self-creating, then you're not connecting into that universal journey in a way that's really like all that's there for you, right? That's like, yeah. Sure. Um, and one of the things that I've had to go, I'm, I'm going through in my own process is not feeling guilty for not needing external validation for that journey, you know, because that external validation then we're taking from the universe, you know, mm. we're like sucking and we're supposed to be these infinite cycles of energy or so I feel um, I'm not a physicist. Um, and in, and when we are pulling and, you know, social media, I love social media. It's a great tool. It's one of my superpowers, but it's also, you know, the negative and the positive. And when we're pulling, it's like meeting the Joneses on crack. You know, right. everything is external and I'm building a couple businesses. So I have to participate and I love participating actually, because I get to see the shifts, you know? Um, but it's, it's all here. God is here. You know, jaw is here. It's, we can't connect to those vibrations if we're not healing and feeling and loving ourselves. And we got to love our neighbors too, right? In order yes. to feel vibrations. And we don't have to like everybody. You don't like your parents a lot, you know? <laughs> right. Hey, I have one of the most amazing kids in the world, but when he gives me that little teenage voice, I don't like him. And I love that being more than I could, I, you know, I mean, they're, they're, he's my son, of course. Um, right. But like is a different word for me. Like is like, dude, let's go hang out at the beach and smoke a joint. And I want to spend time with you and feel your energy. And I know it's going to be fun and I'm going to relax, right? Love is something that flows out of me that is healing and warmth and you want to give and you want to, and, and it fills, right? But we, we have nothing to give. We're empty. And we see this across the globe right now, all this false advertising, all these words, community. I love the word community. It's all over the place. You know, it's a key marketing tool, you know, goodness, do the right thing. Authenticity. You know? authenticity another good one i'm launching with the human rights commission i'm launch, launching the humboldt kindness campaign you know to combat hate and in all those good things all those yucky things that i don't like to say right. um, 
So, you know, when you mentioned neuro linguistic programming, that's that's what's so great about social media, right? <laughs> yes. It's cool for that. But it's also a great tool to highlight the other stuff. Um, and again, I forgot what I was saying. <laughs> I don't know, but yeah, it's funny because not a lot of people even know what neuro linguistic programming is. They don't know. Well, when you're pissed off at your neighbor because he goes out and he shoots guns all night and then your chainsaw broke and you have no firewood, you know how to go to your neighbor and not be so pissed off. And I think that like when you mentioned earlier about community um, and how you, you just can't even like fathom that. Like I'm, I was watching you say that and I was like, wow, that is really real. And it's all I know. You know, and, and I just, I, you gave me a gift because I realized that that really, I'm hoping that a lot of my community watches this so they can see how you responded to that. So they can value that because they've been so oppressed um, by this drug war that there's a lot of shame and victimization around that. And, and they, we need to hear and see how special that our experience is not pouring out this plant. Um, Cause it is, it is a tough journey here for sure. Well, and that's what I, you know, that's what I was going to say the word hope, but I, I don't like using the word hope because that, Sounds like a bullshit word if you ask me. But so you have to have hope to get to truth. That's fair. It's it, hope is not. It, 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 yeah, you're right. People, you can put false hope out there, but real hope is it's your inspiration to get to the truth or to get. You have to have hope, or you don't move forward. Or belief. Yes. You know, if I believe, I usually say I believe in whatever. It's like with Fabians. Move, and I believe it's a movement without a doubt. Um, I believe in what he's doing, and I think it's going to. I don't think I strongly believe that it's going to pull the community that you're talking about together, and it's going to change the way the small, intimate community, you know, looks at the outside world and 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 the outside world looking in right? There's still going to be the corporate aspect of, of cannabis, which I don't know that I'm sure there's people in corporate that care, but, but most of them care more about the money that's going to be made. Right. Um, you know, when it comes to corporate cannabis, I, I think that uh, there's a lot of really good corporate cannabis players because, again, this plant has its own journey. And when you start using it, things start shifting. And there's a cycle that she carries. Um, and part of that cycle is really having you confront with your ego. And mm. she is a badass bitch, man. I mean, I've, I've been I've – been, She's come at me um, when you aren't really honoring the values. And for me, the reason um, Humboldt Grace is what I what I use is because her values taught me love and grace. It's that culture that created that in me, that need to know how to respect my neighbor, how to, how to respect, you know, someone I didn't like. Um, 
how to build in that and, and how to build a totally isolated community that you couldn't leave for months on end because of the weather on nothing. You know, those are the things that we get to share with these folks. Um, and what Fabian is doing with, with is propagating purpose, I think is building, you know, helping build a bridge like that, which is we need as many of those bridges because we are such a diverse culture. That's the other thing is, bloggers, pot growers, rock star, you know, business, but all in one little tiny community getting locked in. You're diverse, right? So you, we need, we need lots of avenues to be able to share this experience and help our vets. They're our vets. They're my vets. Help our vets get through this. Because yeah. um, we, I know in Humboldt County alone, we probably have about 10,000 of them. Wow. And, you know, it's, so let's talk about for a moment and just, you'll have to help me with this. The the documentary that came out, um, Murder Mountain, I watched that documentary, like binge watched it. It was so eye opening and so incredible. And so I just, I, I couldn't believe what I was hearing because I can't imagine, you know, being in a position where you have to sleep with a gun. And there is a lot of people in this industry that have experienced that very thing. You know, the, the grassroots folks and no wonder they don't want to step outside of the box. No wonder they don't want to talk to people. Can you, I know you can't blame them. So I really hope and and I believe that this is going to bring those people out and it's going to help open the eyes to the people looking in. I hope that made sense. No, it absolutely does. And I'm glad you brought up Murder Mountain. Um, yeah, I mean, that's part of our truth. I, I watched it. I binge watched it. I actually know a lot of the people that were in it. Um, I actually met the producer as a human rights commissioner. I uh, I wrote the human trafficking fund for the county and spoke to him. Um, you know, on his defense, he did not come into this community to write that story. He, he, that he didn't know that story, you know, no one, that story organically happened for him. Um, and it's a story that we've had in this community for a long time. It's not anything that no, you know, it, it's, it's a real story. Um, however, that is, that's what the drug war did. That is not a community of people. That is what happens when you do not get the support of law enforcement. That is what happens when you live so far away that law enforcement can't get there in time. Bad things happen. And that is the risk that we took being up in those mountains, you know, um, not meaning that to hurt each other, but I mean, I know people who've lost their families because a tree fell on them. It's a high risk lifestyle um, with no support, no ambulance for when someone got hurt. You know, you saw on that how not all our law enforcement, but how some law, law enforcement has historically treated it. And, and that was during medical marijuana times. You know, that was when it was state allowed. Um, so Murder Mountain is true. I have been in fear for my life. I've had a gun to my head. 
Um, I had been robbed multiple times. Um, you know, that's part of this life. Um, but all of that is because of the drug war. I hated the plant up until I hurt my back. Um, well, no, I started loving it when my mom died. Cause I, I saw her use the plant medicinally and it, I saw how it helped her better than Marinol did. Um, I asked her to take Marinol and it didn't really help her. And then a friend brought her a space ball over and it was the last time she got out of bed and it was amazing. And it was, what the and I, a space, what's a space ball? A space ball is hash cooked in honey and sesame and yeah, I think that's pretty much it. <laughs> wow. Okay. It's like and so, caramel so, hash. <laughs> and so she took it and 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 what do you mean that was the last time she got out of bed? So I guess we should go back to my story here. Like yes. <laughs> we we may have veered off a little bit, but that's okay. This is such an amazing, great story that people most I would definitely say the most of the United States, they don't know any of this. I mean, what we know is Murder Mountain from fucking Netflix. That's it. Okay. Well, then let's keep talking. Um, yeah. yeah. You'll have to pull me back in because I really care about my community, and that's what I talk about. Um, but I also see how my story helps support my community. So just reel me back in. Um, so I was in high school. I think that's, yeah, my, my next step into the plant. Um, my mother was a midwife. I was going to high school in Indian reservation. Um, had, you know, I stayed the night. We, we just, we, we, we had a bus that we took 45 minutes to get to the school. Every single person on that bus is like my family. Um, you know, I had, I had my entire high school, I think my sophomore, junior year was like 200 and something people. Um, we all really know each other. We had a couple friends that were murdered and killed. We had a bus go off the cliff and 17 kids died. We had a lot of trauma. (laughs) And to this day, I wonder if that's because we were such a small community. And this is a larger community, you know, we're a community of hundred thousand people or something now. Um, but we all, we have all these little intimate communities within that big community because we're mountains. Um, and, and I, I still don't know if it's because we all knew each other so well that these traumas impacted us. I, I don't know what it was, but, um, two of my really good friends were murdered. It was actually on unsolved mysteries. Oh, wow. Um, we had another friend who was stabbed 12 times by his stepfather. But what that did is it gave me the best friends in the world. You know, we, um, my best friends are still the, the, the women and the men that I know I could call, you know, in an emergency are from that experience, their parents, um, in fact, that, that, that community is the reason that I'm succeeding right now is the support of that really, that true root community. Um, and at the time, pot growing was very, very clandestine. Um, my mother was not really a pot grower. We were surrounded by growers, you know, not, I mean, these days that's a different word. Surrounded means like there were three growers. Um, <laughs> I started trimming when I was nine. 
Wow. Not because anyone made me, but because I like to shop at Nordstrom's. I was from San Diego. (laughs) (laughs) And I started cutting people's hair in the town. And the big pot grower said, you're really good at that. You want to make some real money? (laughs) And I went, hell yeah. And so I started doing that when I was nine. And then through high school, um, by my senior year, I had moved back down to San Diego with my dad and had totally like washed it all away. And no one, no one in San Diego knew where I came from. They didn't, they, they knew I had a weird accent and I came from Northern California where the Redwoods were, but they had no idea what my background was. And I, I got a boyfriend who was a surfer and he started, and he smoked weed and all these people were smoking weed. And I was the straight girl because I was terrified. My goodness. <laughs> you know, I, I was used to helicopters and I had seen a bunch of AK-37s go up my road. And, you know, I was like used to like some pretty hardcore stuff. And, um, you know, I'd watch the guy that I was Oh, I'm not going to even talk about that. Um, I'd seen some really, really intense stuff before, you know, I'd even graduated high school. And then when I moved, well, when I moved to San Diego my senior year, all these people were smoking weed. And it was just a totally, like, it was, it was very awkward. They don't know this, but it was very, I mean, I guess some of them do now, but it was very surreal. Um, because I was terrified and here all these kids were like smoking a beer, you know, it was like so easy for them. And that's when I first started like seeing it really as, as a recreational, not as like icky parties, not as drug war, but it's like, okay, these are like people I like and they're smoking weed. Um, and I dated a guy for a minute who was an actual getting government glaucoma weed. And I smoked it, and it was like, because it's legal, right? right? And that was my first introduction to medical marijuana. Um, and then I smoked not his weed, like two weeks later, and I was high for three days, called my mom, freaking out, and she was like, don't smoke that shit. There's LSD on it. If you need weed, I'll send you some. Oh, shit. <laughs> And I was like, whoa, because it was, it was quite an experience and I really wasn't into it. Um, And then in uh, 1994, my mom was diagnosed with adenome carcinoma of the lung. When we were in the car accident that my sister died in, she acquired scar tissue and they had found it, but we weren't told about it and it grew. And by, um, Fall of 96, I had moved back to Northern California, like, so not wanting to. I hated it up here. I hated the small town. I loved my life in San Diego. I was successful. I was pretty. I was all the things that you were supposed to be. I was dying inside. Let's just get, I told you some some of my traumas. I was dying inside as a woman. Um. And I had two young sisters. I had one in, in, um, in high school and one in grade school. And my mom asked if I would move here to be there for them when she found out she was dying. And I moved back up here but to be with my mom. 
Um, and then when she passed away, I started working for the doctor that she worked for, and he inspired me to go into nursing school. And um, I, I did. I wanted to be a doctor. That's why I was going into nursing school. But I didn't know if I would like old people. And I learned <laughs> that old people were as cute as kids and just loved it. Um, and then that's when I hurt my back. And I was not, you know, I actually... While I was going to school, I was dating somebody who um, was a grower, a, a rather decent-sized grower, um, and I actually paid for him to leave that industry and go to school to put himself in a completely different field of work because I was so, so, so against it. I was like, uh... I will never have kids with you. I can't get serious about you because my license, everything would be in jeopardy. And you know what? Like five months later, I hurt my back. Oh my. Wow. Everything changed. I, I, I caught the patient, thought, ooh, bad body mechanics. And I woke up at four o'clock that, that next morning and I couldn't move. He had to dress me, get me out of bed, take me to the doctor. Um, you know, unfortunately in rural communities, medical care can be really difficult. Um, and I didn't get any real care for about two years, two and a half years later. Oh my goodness. And it was just a journey of narcotics. Um, I ended up in a coma from, um, Demerol toxicity, not because I took too much. Um, in fact, I wasn't even I wasn't even taking what they were prescribing me because it was feeling so bad. Um, and I came out of that. I had an experience um, that when I was in the coma, I could feel everybody's heartbeat. I could feel my sisters. I could feel, I thought my partner was in the emergency room. He was a diabetic um, and in a diabetic coma. And what it was showing me is that my heartbeat was actually killing the birds in the, in the helicopter that was coming to save me couldn't land. And my, it was cause my heartbeat was disrupting all these EMFs. And I came out of that worried about my partner because I thought he was in a diabetic coma in the ER. And fortunately my best friend was an administrator at that hospital. You know, I've just been so blessed. And she looked at me and she goes, I know you, I know you're not crazy. I'm going to go down to the emergency room. And she went down and my boyfriend wasn't down there, but there was a man that was in a diabetic, going through a diabetic coma in the emergency room. And what that did is that validated every fucking lesson my mother had taught me. Every lesson that I had rejected. Um, you know, I was very, I liked science. I wanted to know, I, I still do. I want to understand everything. And all the tools, all the reasons that my mom moved into this community, all the reasons that she developed her community here, um, I understood. And I knew that I had to start mastering myself um, and learning and understanding what she thought I was. Um, and it started, so it, Oprah was doing her gratitude thing 
Okay. Okay. And I was, I had absolutely nothing I thought I could be grateful for. And this oh. is how I was introduced to Pema. I love Pema Chodron is one of my, my favorite um, philosophers. And Pema was on her show. And I read the, it said, she said, and it's in her book, I think it's in Uncomfortable with Uncertainty. I don't know which one. She says, it doesn't matter what you're grateful for so long as it makes you feel good. And I was guilt, guilt ridden with the fact that I had to take narcotics because my father is a lifelong participant of AA. Um, and very, you know, he, he was a leader in the, the lifeguard organizations in San Diego and San Diego is a very Republican city. He's not necessarily a Republican, but you know, just, you don't do drugs. Um, right. It's the same as alcohol as far right. as he's concerned. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And I felt like I wanted the drugs. Like I felt really guilty and hearing Pema say that in, in that what Oprah was talking. So I started a gratitude journal and you can, it, it's quite fascinating. Um, it says in it, I love drugs. I love drugs. I love drugs. I love drugs. <laughs> you have to do three, right? You have to do three. Right. I love drugs. I love drugs. Cause I was, I mean, think about it. I told you what my injury was. I had no spine and I thought I, I was a drug addict. Right. You know? Um, I, I love drugs. And so then it's, I, I love having sex with my boyfriend. I love drugs. I love drugs. I love, I love having sex with my boyfriend. And then it was about 30 days later, I was laying in bed and I woke up and I was saying, okay, what am I grateful for? And the sun was shining on me. And I was like, Oh, that's so beautiful. I'm grateful for that sun. And then a bird sang and I was so grateful for that bird. And in that moment, I felt no pain. Oh, and I felt that moment that I felt when I was climbing up that cliff. That's and I realized nice. that that was a moment that I could recreate. And then I started really letting go of what I was told meditation was. And I started just exploring that's space. Sure. And then it was uh, 25 days later. And you know, I, I, what I, what I mean by that is, so I would go work, breathe. I found breathing is an amazing aspect of which really takes you to that space. Um, and I let go, like, didn't care if I fell asleep, didn't care what I thought about, didn't care, just as long as I breathed, that was like it. As long as I was doing the breathing, the vagal breathing, then it was like, it worked. And when I realized that, then I really let go. And this is the moment that changed my life forever. And I don't know if I levitated because I didn't have a camera or anything, but there was a moment that, and it was that softness I talk about, it was, it was not, it was, it was lightning rod love. It was white fire love that infiltrated every cell in my body. And I can feel it right now when I'm telling you, but that was the first time and it was only there. And I, I was feeling it and I opened my eyes and I fell back on the bed or I felt like I fell back on the bed and I went, that's God that's 
love. That is unconditional love. That is what I want every minute of my day. And I have been working those freaking muscles really hard, especially through cannabis legalization. And it's really been this amazing spiritual journey. I was asked to be a spiritual leader um, and through lots of seeking decided that um, I was going to make more impact through this plant and telling the story and getting out there because I have been through much more than a drug war. You know, um, I lost the man I love. He was, he was murdered. Um, I've lost my mom. I've lost my sister. Um, but I've gained so much that losing. And when I, when my back injury happened, I lost, I was a dancer. I lost everything that I identified myself with as a good woman. Everything. My, my physique, my looks, my, my, my physicality, all those things, you know, were gone. I mean, I couldn't even really fix my hair, you know? Um, but I found something brighter and better. And it's just, I, I felt, and, and, and my teacher, his name is Rinpoche Dreame, felt that, that coming into business, being an entrepreneur, was a better way for me to spread this love and share this love and teach this love than sitting in in in, in meditating with groups and, and teaching groups um and that took me into the political journey which is a whole nother thing Ugh. oh yeah this is getting right this is gonna be good i didn't i didn't know anything about a political journey so let's go <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. Well, I had a friend reach out to me in uh, 2000 and, uh, 2011. Well, let's let's go back to the plant. So that's let me let me finish because I just I'm going to none of it makes sense. Um, <laughs> so I, that's where I found the plant and I fell in love with the plant and I started using the plant and I started understanding it as a medicine instead of a drug. And I started seeing how. It was the drug war that I was so pissed off about. It was getting raped. It was, you know, getting kidnapped. It was all these things that happened to me that, because I, I was kidnapped when I was five, only for six hours, but you can imagine that six hours was a very traumatic experience. Um, all these things, you know, that, that led me to this plant weren't because of the plant it, or, or the community. It was what happens when people are oppressed. You know, it, it's what happens when you don't have the freedom to be your authentic self, or you're not even given the tools to be your authentic self, you know? Sure. So I started reengaging in the world, um, and I started growing my own weed. And I turns out I was really good at it. Um, and because I like science, I became a vertical indoor grower and I became one of the primary providers for an all the first all female owned dispensary in Humboldt County called the Hummingbird Healing Center. Wow. Um, and, and I got to be one of their top shelf providers. Um, then 2012 came along and during that time, a couple things happened. Um, our leadership changed nationally and 
the Fed started questioning landlords who were supporting medical marijuana, um, which put a lot of businesses in fear, and that dispensary then closed. Um, but I started speaking at our Board of Supervisors meetings for that dispensary because I was a mainstream looking person, you know, because I like Nordstrom's. And so it benefited them having me come up there and say why I needed them. Um, but because the coal memo wasn't enacted at that point, they didn't want to put any of our local, because we are such a local small community, Hummingbird Healing Center closed, chose to close its doors so it didn't put its landlord or developer at risk, um, not because they had to. They were actually given some special permissions because of that, which were beautiful. Um, but, you know, they, they did that. But during that time, um, I started getting politically engaged, and someone who was a mutual friend of mine decided that he wanted to run for state legislative office. Well, he just happened to be the guy that brokered the agreement for the first franchise in Russia. He also happened to be married to a Russian woman or Ukrainian. And what kind of franchise? Uh, uh, it was uh, Pizza Hut, I think, or Shake. Oh, okay. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, some, some pizza company. Um, and he... Uh, he also lived in Sacramento in the highest Russian saturation population. Well, the Russian American population is very much like my cannabis community. They have been severely historically oppressed and even coming together with more than three people was an act of crime in their country for a very long time. And we have a lot of folks that came here because of that sort of oppression. Um, so getting a Russian population to vote is challenging. Um, but I was blessed. I got to be his speechwriter and campaign advisor, and we managed to get the highest voting Russian public out ever in the history, um, which I'm very proud of. He did not win. Unfortunately, just that population really voted for him. But what it also did is it taught me, because I wrote these speeches that actually changed policy, um, my speech writing is what triggered California to have um, to vote in the primaries openly so they can vote for any um, campaign. They don't have to be Democrat or Republican. Whether that was a good thing or a bad thing, I don't know yet. <laughs> but um, so I learned the power of my voice. That's why I'm telling you this part of the story. Yes. I learned that I had a gift to write, to connect with people that, that needed their voices heard. Um, I was also the first medical marijuana patient, marijuana voice to engage at that level. Um, you know, not a lot of people know this part of my history because it's a little scary, um, but it, it really taught me a lot. Um, at the same time, I was growing, and I was blackmailed. Um, I was legal under California law. In fact, the local authorities patted me on the back and said, go get the first permit in our town. Um, unfortunately, my lawyer said, you better get everything out of there, because if he calls CPS, you'll lose your son. 
Um, even though it was all being done right, just because I had a child, I would lose my son. So I packed up 350 plants and a shitload of equipment in a semi and drove 10 hours to a town that had friendly landlords that had that I could sign a lease that would protect me. Um, but I did that with just my son and I in a town that I didn't know anybody and um, had a television company, a movie company or whatever you call it, come in um, to work with me for five days. And I needed a house sitter and I invited a woman that I'd been working with. I had been working with the dispensaries in that area to help organize them. And she robbed me of everything. Um, from that, I had to completely shut everything, got, lost everything. My son and I packed up in my Jeep and I took a job in a farm in a valley, um, being the only woman boss for a 99 plant farm, which was also very intense. We had no power, no running water. We were in the middle of nowhere. Um, me and my kid, we ended up leaving that situation um, before we got paid and ended up back in Humboldt County because it was the only place I knew that I would get help. I had nothing. I had a jar like this of change to get me from Napa, California to Humboldt County, which is about a six hour drive. I don't even know. I, again, it was that softness carried me. I drove from Barberville to my friend's house, which is an hour and a half drive on a red light. And I, I exactly. That's insane. Afraid for my life. And, and, and it was, I literally had a picture of my mom and a picture of La Madrime on my dashboard. And I was just like, you guys have done so much for me thus far. Just get me through to somewhere safe. Um, and really was pissed off. I was so pissed off that I was a single mom with a health problem and a spinal cord injury, growing weed for patients, and I had had a gun to my head, I had been robbed, and that I had been through all this shit. I was so fucking pissed off because I didn't grow weed until 215 in legalization. And so when I started growing weed and I discovered that I was in more risk than I was back in the day when the families were protecting each other, I got really pissed off. And I left and I said, fuck all of you. And I went to Utah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, rightfully so. I can understand. Well, I, I say I can understand, but through your story, I, I can only imagine how pissed you were. I mean, that's really. Oh, literally. I was pissed. Oh. And, and I've told you my background is like, you piss us off, we rise up, right? right? I mean, I don't, I have pictures of my family on the OB pier of women just, you know, the, the my, my great, great grandfather brokered the Panama Treaty, you know, I just, that's who we are. And when I realized, I, I, I can beat it. I'm not worried about me. But these patients, you know, 90-year-old women, sick kids getting robbed? Like, 
I just couldn't wrap my head around that. Um, and so I said, fuck you. And I went to Utah to live with my best friend and really kind of fell back in love with nature again. Um, and, and myself and my son, uh, took a corporate job that I kicked ass and got put on the hall of fame. And I went, well, if I can do this disabled, what else can I do? And I fell in love and I fell in love with my old electrician. And that brought me back to Humboldt County. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You couldn't get away from Humboldt County if you tried. Well, you no, did try. <laughs> my mom told me I was never getting out of this place. <laughs> she said that, that this was this, this is where I was going to have everything I needed. Uh, and, and she was right. It took me a long time to listen to her. Right, right. Um, so I came home very much not an advocate of the plant. Um, very much like, okay, I am going to live in a suburban house. You know, he had a, he, he was a very good provider. Um, he, he's a very kind man. Um, and I thought I could be Betty Crocker. Um, and I tried it and it didn't work. It actually made me a lot sicker. Um, and I started juicing. And I realized that I loved this plant and I started really focusing on my health and I went and got a, I had to get, I was basically in bed about three days a week at that point. Cause I was really declining in health. And I noticed that my pain and my mobility with my hormonal cycles and my period would impact me during it. I couldn't walk. Um, and so I went and I got a total hysterectomy. And I tell you this because my sister came up to visit during that time. And I don't know who it was, but someone sent me an article online and it said, attention, growers, lawyers, doctors, meeting at the Grange, cannabis legalization, California cannabis voice, come talk to us. And I was like, now, mind you, I forgot another part of the story. I was outed in 2009 by Peter Hecht. And I became 420 girl the month before Winona Ryder. I got like all this stuff about being a girl grower. You can see my picture. He, he wrote this thing on his blog about me. Um, so I, I had been totally outed, right? Um, and so a man, one of my mentors, I had one of the greatest men on this planet mentor me. His name was Graham Downs. He was an architect. Um, he was an amazing man. He was friends with Nelson Mandela. He was a South African who was really building life to heal what he felt he, well, he was a part of. Um, and, you know, and Graham really did what I do too. He, he taught me how to build community in a lot of ways professionally. My mother taught me how to build it spiritually and Graham taught me how to architect it. Um, so during that time, I had been really, I was being mentored. Like you need to build a business. We need to build a brand. Uh, the name Humboldt Grace. He actually is the person who came up with the name Humboldt Grace. We were in conversation and he said, Lay. Jasper one day would be the Gucci of weed. And I said, Oh, I fucking hate Gucci. I mean, no, no harm to Gucci, but I hate what 
It's not that I hate Gucci, actually. It's that <laughs> I hate what that means. You know, like, oh, the Gucci of weed. Um, and then he went, no, no, wait. I know. And he said, Humboldt Grace. Because I love Grace Kelly. And he, and I went, oh, I love that. Never, ever thought anything would come of it. Because that was right. in 2009. But what he and I started doing was archetype architecturally building the plan, right? And the plan was Napa. You guys are specialists. What you do is special. And um, in that same time period, I think it was around 2011, I uh, went and hung out with a couple young guys, uh, Hezekiah Allen and Casey O'Neill. They're leaders in, in our industry as well. And they were running a hookah bar, a tobacco hookah bar. It wasn't, we couldn't have hookah bars there, but they had music. And one of my, uh, one of my relatives is a, is a reggae musician, Teoman from Hawaii. And he was coming out and these guys are, oh, we want to rap with Teoman. So Teo and I go hang out and I don't know what I'm getting into. I don't even, I don't know these guys. I just know they like Teo and I'm always trying to share the love with good stuff. So I'm like, yeah, Teo will come by and rap with you guys. We go by there. We end up staying up all night and talking about legalization and talking about how we can become the Napa. And from that, a lot happened from that conversation. And, and you can look at the legacy of all three of us and you can see a lot of our roads in that. Um, and, 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 and I really, you know, so then fast forward back to, I'm back in Humboldt. I get this thing, you know, when I've been dreaming of the day, I had been already talking to Timber on my own because I received a community leadership award in 2012 from them. And because I'm disabled, I always talk about medical marijuana. And they were very fascinated by that. Um, so fast forward, I was four days out of my hysterectomy. I think I was two days home from the hospital. And... I get this thing online that someone goes, did you see this? This is what you're talking about. Did you see this? And I was like, shit, I got to get there. And I did four days. I went there. I went into that meeting the next day. I sat in there. They had no idea that I just had surgery. <laughs> what, yeah, what, what meeting? Well, it, the, the organization at the time was called California Cannabis Voice. It was a meeting at the Grange. And what they had done is put a call to action to all, all advocates, all growers, all lawyers, doctors, the community to come and talk about legalization. And it was the first time it had been public in a paper like, like that. And I'd never been in a room that diverse in my life, you know, with real growers. No. Um, and I walked into that room and I was the real, real grower in that room. And there was some attorneys, there was a local doctor. Um, no, I think there might've been one other grower in that room and they immediately saw that I knew what I was talking about and I looked presentable and they asked if I would come on board and become the, um, what is it called? Outreach person. And okay. then one of the gentlemen. Face. Yeah. Well, bring my community. They, they didn't, they didn't have relationships with my community. All right. Um, and I agreed. And within two months I was very unexpectedly, um, 
to some folks, I was the only person who could actually be the chair and president of the organization um, because I had participated in the market, you know, in no big way. I was safe. And I wasn't, I'd already been, I'd already had my face out there. I'd already, you know, been in papers all over the world with that face. So I, I wasn't afraid. And I was the only person in on the board that wasn't. And so I became the president and chair for that organization, which we then called ourselves California Cannabis Voice Humboldt. And our primary, we had two objectives. Um, one was to rally the farmers and get them to the table to help us create sensible policy. Um, unfortunately, I resigned from that organization due to irreconcilable differences around that policy. And as their leader, I was shut out of the policy room. I never was invited or allowed to a policy meeting. Um, and I could not lead an organization that was writing policy for my community that I wasn't allowed any awareness to. Um, and I learned after those years in doing the politics that what I needed was to make an impact and educate. And the way to do that was through business because that's who people listened to. That was who the politicians listened to. Um, and I knew I already had the influence. I already had the trust of my community, but what I needed to do was succeed um, in what the world thinks is successful. And, and our giants have all succeeded in business. And I left that organization and Doe said, I'm diving into business. I was offered ownership of the Hummingbird Healing Center. Um, I was very grateful to that. But at the time, I didn't value myself very well. And I brought in partners who shoved me out. Um, that business will not open now because of that. Unfortunately, it was really, we had over 3,000 patients. Um, I really wish it would have, but it, it didn't. But it taught me that I had to build the basket, that I was, there weren't a lot of us that were looking at the roots. Everybody was looking at their own branch and they were all going to fall on the ground really soon because of my experience in that policy building, I knew what our future was. You know, I understood where we were going with this. Um, and because I was a single disabled woman, I was portrayed to be the silly woman. Um, and the only way for me to not be the silly woman was to be folks at their own game, right? To succeed or to, 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 <coughs> to accomplish <coughs> what they were valuing, what my community was valuing as successful. And that was cannabis permits. Um, I also wanted my community's voice to be heard throughout the industry, not the murder mountain voice, but the community that, you know, brings me dinner because I've been in the hospital and, and picks my kid up from school. Cause I, you know, I'm, I'm, I can't walk that day. Um, I felt that it was so vital, especially with the affairs of our entire world and, and your reaction earlier tells me that I'm right on the money, that we show what built us, 
we show those integrated roots between each other and how we connect and support each other because we have to do that to get through all these challenges that the world's giving us right now. Um, and I went out and I started learning. I took some amazing, I took an amazing entrepreneur workshop in Utah with uh, the women who branded Oprah and real world. You know, it was 12 of us with the experts, the experts, the the leading woman in, in technology, you know, we got these individual classes and I walked out of that experience. The woman who hosts, she's, she's amazing. Her name's Bea Voce. She's amazing. I walked out of that because it was for women knowing all the things that I was being oppressed for the past two years with the political organization and the dispensary was first of all mansplaining bullshit. I'm sorry. I love men, but mansplaining bullshit is a whole nother thing. Um, and that I was the most valuable person at the fucking table and that I wasn't valuing myself and I didn't need to do business their way. I didn't need to like do corporate structure. I could build my own type of corporation or my own business. Um, and that my, what I was saying was right. And she really empowered me to do that. I came home. That's when I, I, I was offered $2,500 for my dispensary. And I said, I'm not signing anything and walked away. I, I really don't know where it is now. Um, and walked away from that and said, all right, well, I created this beauty product. I know that beauty is the highest, you know, the highest profit margins in the world are beauty, weed, and human trafficking. Well, I wrote the human trafficking fund for the county. (laughs) You know, I'm I'm getting ready to launch a five-skew beauty line um, with cannabis in it. Um, Currently. Currently, yes, I'm. I'm just getting ready to launch for funding for it. I'm really excited. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is super exciting! Wow. Okay. Um, and so I had this whole concept, and this was four years ago. I knew that beauty was going to be huge, and I knew that we could bridge the gap with CBD. Um, so I developed a, a, a lip product that I could put CBD in it and market it. And this woman approached me. She was, she had a company called 420 media and said, we have a contract with CBS to do an educational spot on CBS during the Super Bowl." And I went bullshit. (laughs) CBS calls me and goes, no, she does. Here's the contract. Come down and meet us. I go down to San Francisco, meet CBS, get wooed by CBS, sign the contract. They show me a beautiful clip with Colton Turner. It was gorgeous. I cried. I was like, yes, this is what I want Humboldt Grace to be. I put my life savings into it, thinking my whole community was going to come out with me. And everybody was so traumatized. Those lovers, those builders that I knew were either severely traumatized or we had been inundated with a capitalistic mentality. And I didn't understand any of that yet. I still thought we were this unified core community that understood our values. Um, And and I I, I didn't understand that until, until later. So 
Where was I? <laughs> you had signed the contract with CBS. Oh, so I signed the contract with CBS, and I'm like, yeah, Super Bowl, humble grave. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. Well, that didn't happen. And so Not the life savings, you had invested life savings into this happening. $50,000, yeah. Oh, shit. It, 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 it's not, I don't regret it because the journey the woman and I have taken together, she did, you know, a couple years later, Humboldt Grace has launched on Discovery Channel, on um, Bravo, and on the History Channel. We also launched during the Super Bowl last year in the Virgin Islands on a CBS affiliate. What? Oh my God, that is incredible. Yeah, it just says, you know, Humboldt Grace, and then there's five other uh, of us that participated. Um, but it is, you know, it is. It's, 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 it's being able to push the needle, you know, and, and, and laying that road so someone else can do it. It's very satisfying, you know. Uh, we, we don't make any money off of doing those sort of things, but our, that, that internal that's the money, right? And then when you're in that space, then you can open up because you're so full, you know? It's not, we don't have to protect as much. We can just kind of open because we're flowing. And then we can receive, which by the way is the name of my beauty line, is receive. Then we can receive all that energy that's present for us. We don't have to take it, you know, or we don't have to take it. It's just what is present for us. There is no it. It's just that's vibrationally there. Um, I love that you said in flow because when you're in flow, it's just like what we were talking about with me doing this podcast. It feels like I'm in flow. Like it feels, I, I don't even know how I, I have a watch on. I have a phone. I haven't looked at either one of them. Since we've been talking, <laughs> I have no idea how long we've been talking, nor do I care, um, because we're in flow. Right, right, right. Love and that's it. kind of the core of, wow, actually, I've never seen this before, but I can see it right now. That's the core of how my community has created. You know, when you look at all the science that's come out about the Redwoods, how they're interconnected and how the roots communicate and how mushrooms communicate and the mycelium is their travel for the redwoods. But <clears throat> that's how I was raised in this. Um, and when you are living on a hill <clears throat> like Murder Mountain, you don't have a store. You don't have a sheriff. You don't have a plumber to go fix your pipe. You really got to let go and flow with whatever is available to you you know you really got to go oh shit my pipe busted and I got to feed my garden how am I going to do that or you can just like give up and lose everything <laughs> right. you know, you know? And, and you can't you don't you don't live up here you can't survive with that kind of mentality or you couldn't survive with that kind of mentality up here um and so you're right that's part of it is being in that flow, in that understanding of nature's rhythms. Because that's what the flow is to me. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, make, okay, so commercial, 
or the Super Bowl thing, and then you moved away from that. And so I didn't move away from it. I'm still doing it. She has <laughs> lots of video and content. <coughs> she, <coughs> excuse me. She uh, did some interview with me that's coming out on Trailblazers. You know, she's really pulled me into all her projects. She's a friend now, um, and she, she's a supporter. So, you know, it, it's still going. That is a continual project. Um, but it, 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 in the moment, I thought, oh, I'm going to have all these lip things, and people are going to order them online, and I'm going to be okay, right? Because I have, I had, when I went and worked for that political organization, I couldn't go back to my job. So I'm going to be okay. Um, well, that didn't work out. Um, but I kept going, you know, I, um, I, I, I kept going. I have lost, I live with a friend now. Um, you know, we, it's been a challenge, but I was given an amazing opportunity, um, on 1.7 acres to develop two manufacturing cannabis permits, a processing permit, and a distribution permit, which is really the golden egg. Um, I also have amazing people around me that will allow me to build a, a federally certified lab in that building, which we don't really have yet. Uh, we might have one in the area that's already ready for that. Um, and all of that is, again, because of those opportunities. And I was given all that with no capital. Zero capital. You've given me all the permits. Well, I'll, I'm going to tell you the story. <laughs> okay. All right. So for the third time in this journey, I didn't value myself. And I only needed $25,000 to process those permits. And, and of course, now I realize that if I would have put it together, someone would have given me that to do that. Um, but at the time, I didn't value myself professionally and I brought in some brothers and I call my farmers my brothers and sisters um, some traumatized brothers there I still call them brothers some of us have had conversations some of us haven't yet and I hope we will um, brought them in to share the permits with me we weren't sure if I would be able to even hold all those permits legally because the laws haven't even weren't even created at the state yet you know we were way ahead of the game um, so I, I, I just didn't know. And so I brought on a couple men and within, well, within three months, um, I was approached by an East coast kidnapping gang. They were trying to locate farms through me to rob. Um, and then quickly after that, my, those brothers tried to push me out, um, they said, oh, we're going to throw your permits away that my name was on. I said, go ahead and throw them away. I'm walking away. You know, I'm not, no one is bullying me into anything. And I walked away. I walked away from a multi-million dollar project that was only existed because of me. Um, and I was pretty devastated. But I happened to do really good work. <laughs> <laughs> And I don't bullshit and I don't cookie coat it and I just say what's real so we can deal with it. And they were the person who financially was securing the project for those men 
went to the planning department with all the changes that those men had created and learned how good I was at what I did. And within a month got me on the phone and asked how I would become back involved in the project. And I said very clearly, he can have me back in the project as soon as those folks are no longer involved. And it's just he and I, and that's what happened. And now he and I and his wife have processed the first permits like that in Humboldt County that have been successful. We are under an appeal right now because of some other sabotage that I can't talk about, but we're going to be fine because, again, Yes. I don't ask people to put millions of dollars on the table unless <laughs> I feel pretty good about a project. Right. Um, so, you know, we how we navigate it exactly, we're not totally sure, but it, it's it's all fine. Um, it's just another lesson, and I'm already navigating it well, so I feel confident in that. And, and I've managed to, through these hurdles, gather, um, I have one of the most amazing partners. His name's Paul Chu. He, he was one of the innovators of Monster Energy Drink, Johnny Rockets, um, uh-uh. Perfect Wireless. And he's also like you and I. He's a very connected human being and a very aware human being. And he reached out to me two years ago. Um, to be a part of an artificial intelligence project called Hey Mary. And I am, he, what did he say? I said, why? I don't know anything about this. What are you asking me for? And he goes, no, you're giving me intention of the AI, which is really, really important. Plus, I know a lot about cannabis. Um, oh, I love that you said intention, by the way. That's what he said to me. That's how oh. he started on the team. He said that to me. And I didn't know anything about AI like that at the time. This was before... Um, it was publicly said, you know, that intention matters with AI. This is, he came to me because he wanted me to help create that part of it. Also with my knowledge of cannabis, but that's how he approached me. Um, and then I quickly (laughs) got him involved in my vision. Uh, and right now we're working on putting those permits together with my beauty line. So we can not only develop my beauty line through those permits, but we can really support a lot of farms and product makers, not only through the manufacturing, but I really want it to be a research facility because I believe it's our knowledge and it's our experience that allowed us to create indoor hydroponics that allowed us to build solar systems um, that allowed us to grow this plant so well. And we should be leaders in this industry. This plant cannot be studied anywhere else because of our microclimates. We are like the Amazon. That is, these are all facts. You can't argue those facts. Um, But on top of that, we are the Einsteins and I believe with every part of my being that my project needs to be is going to be a research facility um and and i want to see all these innovators i want to build it my 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 fantasy and i i have people it's not just a fantasy i mean it might not happen i'm, I'm not i you know you never know something like it'll happen because i'm creating it um but i really see this you know everyone talks about nonprofits and all these systems. Um, but I would really like to see my research facility be a three-way relationship. And that would be a private funder. Um, that would be Humboldt Grace. And then that would be a cooperative owned by the community and anyone who participated in that. So if I was to come in or 
my sister, because she's not Humboldt Grace, if my sister was to come in and say, I've got these really amazing genetics, will you curate them? Let's study them. Let's see what they're like. And if they turned out to be amazing, then we would have options. Either she could take them and pay us for that work, or we could sell the license for her and, and, and make that happen for her. And I think we have a lot of licenses here to be created, not just with genetics, but with our knowledge. And, and that's what I want to empower here with that. Wow. You just have, you know, one of the things that you said a couple of times is, you know, throughout this journey that you've kind of forgotten how powerful you are or you haven't believed in the power that you have. Mm. And, and if nothing else comes out of this conversation today, I want you to never forget the shit that you've built, the shit you've been through, because if it had not been for your connectivity with the universe and your belief none of this would have happened. So you can't forget that because you've got a lot more to do. Amen, brother. Yeah. You know, thank you. And thank you for that. Cause that is, it is that connectivity that that's what it's about. You know, that's the bottom line and the plant does help with that, but it's not the core. Um, I tell, I just wrote this article for someone the other day that is talking about the purpose of the plant and I talk about how, you know, if anyone was like to stick me in a room with a gun to my head and say, what is God? What is your divine master? You know, I would say, fuck you. <laughs> no one is, 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 is anyone's master. Um, but if I had to, I, I would say on this planet, it's Mother Earth. She's the wisest thing, the, the most complete system that I've ever seen and experienced. Um, she, she, she doesn't do anything out of malice or reaction or, or, or hurt. She does things because it's what needs to be done. Um, so in that, I see the plant as like a messenger, an angel. She helps us understand that language of Mother Earth. But then it has another purpose. And I think that's an angel or a messenger from our own hearts and light to our minds, our egos, our brains, our human experience, whatever you want to call it. But I think she really, and my teacher, my spiritual teacher told me this because um, I was, well, I, told, I talked about my guilt around drugs. Um, and he was like, you know, it really is about opening your heart, you know, and if something opens that up, then it's not bad for you. But do you use it to open your heart? No. Do you use it to learn how to open your heart? Sure. What's wrong with that? You know? Right. Um, and it is. It's this vehicle that I've watched so many people transform in, in legalization. that You just see it all the time. People come in and they're all slick Rick and got their <laughs> egos. And then a year later, man, they've been knocked off their horse and they're so grounded and like, yeah, and they get it, you know? And, and she does that. She is a powerful angel. In, in those, in those rights. Um, and that's what fuels me is, and that's why I talk about her so much and I, and I love her so much and him. I love hemp too. I, I, I call him male and female because I, the words, 
the words that federal has decided to define this clamp, they're messing themselves up because they don't understand it. We're never going to have an unseeded crop with the way they're defining this plant federally, but that's a whole nother platform. <laughs> um, but she's this vehicle to help, like, look at where um, regenerative farming is coming right that's a gift that, that this plant is inspiring look at spirituality yes. you know look at how all these people are coming together i mean there's a, so many amazing church-going people that never thought they would engage with this that are now because they're seeing the truth and and now that we're knowing it's a medicine like how beautiful it is um well, you know something, uh, you know, so it's something that just came to mind when you, you mentioned Mother Earth is that I, I wonder how many people understand what the plant actually does to the physical soil. It pulls the toxins out of the soil. She and that's, that's a body, it, do you know what a bodhisattva is? No, I don't. <clears throat> it's, it's, a, it's a Buddhism thing person it's like there's a buddha and then there's a bodhisattva a buddha teaches that's the buddha's job you know like jesus was a buddha a bodhisattva pulls in suffering and turns it into beauty ah that's a perfect transforms right those are the vows i've taken vows to in bodhicitta which is practicing to be a bodhisattva i don't think i'll ever be a bodhisattva in this lifetime but vows to try to attempt to do that um and the plant is a bodhisattva i believe it is this being and, and that's why this this industry is so volatile right now because she's purging and cleaning us you know if we want to be really strong and rule the world through this plant then it's got to be righteous or she won't have it um and she is she does it is you're right and and hence it shows you because she does that, the plant does that. There's just no denying that, is there? No. So now we take that ideology and now we're infiltrating big pharma. Now we're infiltrating big alcohol. Now we're infiltrating the government. It gives me more hope than I've ever had in my lifetime. And I've been afraid of the end of the world my whole life because, you know, I grew up holding the signs and watching the day after, you know, like the whole community got together to watch that movie about nuclear Holocaust when I was eight, it was horrifying. Um, and for the first time in my life, I feel really, really hopeful. Not even hopeful is not even the right word. It's like, I can feel it. You were describing something earlier. It's like, you can feel that we are on the right path. And I feel because because of the black market and because of all the things my brothers and sisters have go through, her value has been understood. And if we wouldn't have done that, her, nobody, she wouldn't be able to make this change. Um, that sacrifice gave us this really loud voice that has to do with money that people who don't believe nature impacts you or, you know, don't believe that loving your neighbor matters. She teaches you that she gives you that lesson. She really does. Um, she sure has taught me that. She... What an incredible, incredible journey you've been on. And do you realize, you know, you you kind of are soaking up the suffering by connecting the 
you know, the, the people that are so um, traumatized and you, so you're kind of soaking up their suffering and then cleaning it, right. And bringing them to the mainstream, so to speak. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Okay. I'll take that. <laughs> yes. I Nina. feel that. Yeah. No, it's what I'm trying to do. Absolutely. I, I didn't, you know, I didn't look at it quite like that, but you're right. It is exactly, there's a practice called Tomlin prayer. Um, and what it is, is you get in your space and you breathe in the darkness and then reflect it out as light. You don't bring it in, but it like bumps off your light and it, you transform it into light. Um, and oh my goodness, you're right. <laughs> my whole, per- this whole journey is me wanting to like, let me just, I can make your darkness feel better. Yeah. Yeah. And um, you've taken a lot of stuff in and you've, you've soaked up so much, so much suffering so far and you're only 49 years old. So the word you use for the opposite of Buddha, I would say that you're sort of already that, that, that person. You said, I don't know if I'll ever see that in my lifetime, but you kind of already are. Well, thank you for that. That is, um, I, I appreciate that very much. Um, I think we have a lot of us. We just, again, we talked earlier about labels mm-hmm. and I really think it, it, it's why I don't use that word very often, but I really think it's just that space of unconditional love. And, and I will honor myself and say that I know that space well, and I love that space and I really want to do my best to help share that space. You know, um, and I've discovered that politics and business are a way to impact um, that 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 works. You know, we we we've we're launching the Humboldt Kindness Campaign on Monday that I created for the whole county. <laughs> you know, it works, and that's you know that's part of what you and I need to really like and, and more like us. We got to really impress, and that's part of what my social media is about. Is like goodness works. You yes. know, it really does. It's just when you've done it right, you don't need to go scream about it. You know, you don't need to go be like, I'm a badass because you just feel it and you're walking it and you're enjoying the fact that you're a badass and you're enjoying the fact that you helped somebody and you're enjoying the fact that you built a successful business. Um, we just, you know, we got to get filled. Yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. And we think we got away from that place of, Searching for that external, like we're supposed to be fulfilled out here, right? Like our partners fulfill us, our children fulfill us, our job fulfills us, our church fulfills us, our community fulfills us. Um, And what living in, in small communities like this that are aware, I've learned that no, you fall apart if you aren't strong. Um, You just do. It doesn't work. You can't have a strong system and a weak link. Um, and if you tear each other, you just, it doesn't work. Um, and we're tearing each other down all over the place, you know, women with each other, women with men, um, men obviously too. Um, but 
you know what, we're also tearing down walls. Like, you know, Pfizer isn't going to get away with making the kind of chemicals they make very much longer. <laughs> because we all know about it, right? We all talk about it. We all share it. That's right. That's right. It's the good part about social media. Oh, as much as I despise it sometimes. It is, it has changed our whole world for sure. Yeah, I'm having my first... um I guess attack on social media today. I kind of asked for it. Um, I posted, I, I have a refractory celiac disease, which triggered non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, and, and it's in remission. Thank you for juicing cannabis. Um, but when I go out to eat, I can get really ill. And, and I, you may, I'm, I'm ill today because I'm sweating right now. I don't feel very good. Um, it's also why I keep forgetting because it'll attack my brain and, it, and it's like, I got to pull hard to get recall like that when I'm in the crisis. So I went to a restaurant and I won't mention it cause I did mention it online and everybody can go see. Um, <laughs> and I have celiac and, and we had a misunderstanding and I'm okay. If it was a misunderstanding, I felt like I was very clear. Um, but they felt it, there was a misunderstanding but unfortunately, I wrote on Facebook that I would like to get the information to the owner because I would like to educate them on celiac and gluten and that now I would go have to go vomit, which is very passive aggressive. <laughs> oh, man. But to my defense, I told them I expected a new burger and I waited for 40 minutes, didn't get one, went back up and said, are you guys going to do anything? And they were looked at me blank faced. And then I went, really, you're not going to do anything. And then they said, oh, you should go get the owner. And the person didn't go get the owner. They all stared at me still. And I went, oh, and I walked out and I'm, I walked out pissed and I put that on social media. Oh, um, I blame you. And, you know, I did do it in a way I really had hoped to have a resolution so I could support them because I like the restaurant. Um, we eat there regularly and we don't get sick. Um, but instead what happened is they attacked me on social media and now they're attacking my disability on social media. They actually passed something, posted something. Here, I'll read it to you. Um I don't even under, I don't even know what I mean. It's hard for me because I'm a human rights commissioner, and I'm like, this is the stuff I'm fighting, right? This is exactly what the Humboldt Kindness Campaign is about. And this person posted on their Facebook, "Gotta love keyboard warriors. They have no legs to stand on." And the problem with that is that I really don't have legs that I can really, you know, that's, it's, it's just, and then it goes, it digresses, you know, the comments from that digress. Um, and then they said all this stuff that they, they basically called me a liar on set, which I'm not, you know, it just, it blew up into this whole thing. And I'm just like, I don't even know what to do with it at this point, but ignore it. Um, I'm launching the human kindness campaign on Monday. So that's what I'm going to do is I'm just going to beg everybody to, to be kind. It'll be fine. It'll oh, it will. It's just, it's a disease in our society right now. And we have to get back to this place. I, I wrote something. I, I run a group in Facebook called Humboldt Grace, a community gathering. And it's where I lead 
these, I've created to lead these ideologies and help, help remind people about these ideologies. Um, and we really do, I, I posted something in there around how we're so passive aggressive in our communication online. Um, it's, it's, it's like, I would have cried for days um, as a young girl with some of the stuff that I see posted and I know the people and I know that's just so not what kind of people they are, you know, um, myself included. I just mentioned what I did, you know, I'm not happy. I don't, I'm like, do I take it off? What do I do now? I don't even know what to do with it at this point. Um, and I'm totally not proud of myself, but the only way we're going to change it is by what we're neuro linguistic programming yeah. and social media is like the super highway for that shit. I mean, yeah. it's like tap in. I mean, I can energetically work with social media I can tap in and feel and move and all sorts of crazy things. It is real. It's a whole nother dimension or universe, whatever you want. The matrix is real. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, it really is, but we need to encourage strong leadership in that voice that's authentic. Um, because one, we're, we're all knowing, we're all seeing, and we're all listening. And we are watering down our world with bullshit. And people are growing up believing that bullshit is real. True. And folks like yourself, like Fabian, we need to get more of that going. So we are infiltrating, not just with cannabis and plant wisdom, but we're infiltrating through information because the news doesn't give us information anymore. And now it's just how my community was built. We sat down and we shared food and we shared stories. And that's how we learned is because we came together. You know, my mom didn't eat meat. But when people would come that wanted meat, she would go trade her vegetables for the persons who, who did grow meat, you know, farm, oh, whatever wow. it's called. And that's what this social media space is giving us. That's what the universe, I believe, is giving us an opportunity with this social media space. And the big T guy is like giving us a spotlight for it you know, because we're inundated with it. And so when that authenticity breaks through and you're real about what you're talking about and you do it with compassion, we can shift this place that our yeah. our, our world is in right now. Um, and social media is, I don't, you know, I was watching this show on uh, Netflix and I, I wasn't going to watch it because of the name. And then I read a review on it and I was like, oh, I'm going to check that out. And uh, it's called, I think it's called The Messiah. And um, it's basically about, have you heard of it? No. Uh-uh. But you should watch it. In fact, every disruptor should watch it. It is basically about how it's World War Three through social media. Oh, Wow or savior or whatever. I don't know. I haven't watched it all yet. Um, some episodes, it looks like it's terrorism. Some episodes, it looks like he might be really doing the right thing. You know, I don't know, but it's basically using social media to empower one voice. And that voice became so popularized 
that, you know, it, it, people were flooding to cities and, and they would know because they would watch on social media. And so all of us seekers and teachers and bodhisattvas and Buddhas or whatever name you want to put it, now is our time to, like what I wasn't doing, value ourselves, to come fully into our power and to fuel ourselves. We can't expect to fuel each other. We can come together. We can ignite each other. We can join and make it more powerful. But we have to stop thinking that our lover, our family, our job is going to fuel us. Nothing does that but our right. own inner selves, right? Um, and the plant helps get you to that spot. I got on a soapbox again. That's okay. I, you know, and, and we'll, we'll wrap up with, actually, I needed to hear that because I've been driving myself into the ground with the multiple things that I've been doing, and I have not been taking good care of, of myself. And so I needed to hear that. Um, it just validates the fact that I need to make some changes in my personal life because I'm locked in my office, just grinding the fuck away all the time. And it's, it's gotten out of hand and I know I'm, I feel like I'm doing it for a greater good, but if I'm not here, I can't, there is, I can't contribute to that. So So I'm glad you brought that up. That's why I ended up in the hospital. And that's why I just left my role as publisher for the magazine Um, is because you're right. We have to be able to give what we have to share, but if we're not fed and we're not fueled, then we're those inauthentic voices because then our fear, our anger, our weight, is what carries the voice, right? But when we're light and we're full and we're able to receive the goodness around us, then our voices are bright and loud with authenticity and we create goodness. So you're right. You do. I'm on that same journey right now of learning how I'm calling it fun. I'm trying to figure out how to have fun again. Um, and we've lost that. And, it, and, and women, you know, we're talking about this as women a lot, but men have lost it too. You know, you guys aren't out there hunting, hunting and gathering anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we have to get back to that place where we value ourselves. And then when we come to the table as, as, a, as an intimate partner or a professional partner, we actually are bringing value instead of going, what do you got? Yes. Are you going to make me happy? That's right. Oh, are you gonna are you gonna make me feel good? Oh, are you gonna make what me What about rich? me? What about me? What about me? What about me? We've got to oh get God. away from That's that. Me too, movement. It's the what about me movement. Right. <laughs> and I don't mean just women. I mean it's just. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. So true. I totally, totally believe that. And and God, people would feel so much better if they didn't look at everything that way if we came to each other's tables with compassion and going oh this is what i was talking about that i wrote on social media if we would have came to each other's tables compassionately like for example during my back injury i was on fentanyl patches which is really heavy duty drug yes Um, my partner and i would go out to eat and in my most embarrassing moment i passed out in Marie calendars 
in my food. And the manager of Marie Callender's was someone that I went to high school with. Um, so it was humiliating, you know, but you know what? He's still my buddy. He's still my friend. Um, because he knew what I was going through. He knew my pain. He knew who I was before my injury, you know, and, and that was a big thing is that people around me knew I was a dancer and a snowboarder and a model. And I was so active and always doing these things that their mirror of me gave me that faith back in myself. So when I passed out in Marie Callender's to my buddy, Troy, I wasn't a drug addict. You know, I wasn't a loser. He had compassion for me during that time. And we're walking around our own homes. I, I do this. I, I have trust issues because you can tell why. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> you know, and, and we're, we're walking our own homes going, God, is, is my husband on my team or is, is he trying to angle me right now? You know, is he going to, you know, support me in that conversation or is he gonna you know sideways me I, I mean I've had some of my best male friends unintentionally fully just disrespect me in a conversation and we need to get to that place where we go who is that person in front of us how do they feel what is their experience and now let's have a conversation yeah I agree I totally agree 100%. Then we problems. yeah that's I agree I think we're both on the right path, you know. I agree. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think there's a lot of us. It's that time. We're rising up. That's right. That's exactly right. Well, listen, I want to thank you so much for talking today. This will not be the last time we talk. I can guarantee that. <laughs> so, um, but, man, this has been fantastic. I'm so excited to share this with the world because the world needs to hear it. Well, thank you, Corey, for giving me the, the, the platform to talk about these things. Um, I do really appreciate it. And I agree. I think the world needs to hear these things over and over again from all sorts of people. Um, but if they want to hear it from here, um, sorry, I did just start this community. Um, and, and I'm calling it an intentional community. It is an online community on Facebook and it's called Humble Grace, a community gathering place. Where can and they find that? They can find that on Facebook. It's a Facebook group. They can also find me on Instagram as Humble Grace. And then they can find me on LinkedIn as Lelania Dubois. Um, but this group on Facebook is really kind of dear to me and it's my pet project right now um, because for all the beauty that we talked about today, my community is suffering. Um, we have men and children and women killing themselves because they are so scared. And when you've been part of a multi-generational culture that has sustained itself for that long in one way, and all of a sudden you're losing all of it, it's devastating. Um, we have men who are sitting on acres and acres of property that have the ability to permit but are so overwhelmed by the process that they're locked, just like a war vet from PTSD. Yeah. You know, it's, it's the exact same kind of dynamic that's going on up here. Um, and so I created this space because 
we also have had to really protect ourselves. We haven't been able to open our hearts as this industry builds. And I have, and I have learned that we do have CEOs of corporate cannabis companies that came to the table with their heart. Yeah, we also have CEOs who drink the spike green Kool-Aid and lose their minds. You know, hmm. I'll, I'll agree with all that. But most people who are engaged with this plant right now, or at least for a bit, um, came to it because of love. Whether it was love for their loved one that's dying, whether it was love for their community, whether it was love for their own selves and their healing. Um, everyone pretty much came to this for love and we need to all remember that and sit down at the table together based on the values of love and grace. And then we can have corporate cannabis and legacy cannabis come together and build an industry based on those values with all the innovations that have already been created for generations and more to come. So that's that, the last thing I'd like to say. And I, the powerhouse of the two coming together would be tremendous. I want to thank you again for tuning in to the Successful Life Podcast. If you have not already subscribed, please do. And look, if you really enjoyed today's episode, email me at successfullifepodcast.com at gmail.com and tell me what it was you enjoyed. And if there's somebody that you want me to bring on, then email me about that and tell me who it is and I'll make sure it happens. So, you know, leave us a review, tell a friend and until next time, folks, have a good day. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Successful Life Podcast. We hope today's insights have ignited your passion and provided tools to shape your leadership journey. Remember, greatness is a journey, not a destination. Continue your pursuit by exploring more resources and insights over at CoreyBarrier.com. Until next time, keep leading, keep learning, and keep striving for excellence. Stay inspired and see you on the next episode.